This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. And today, Wednesday, is the weekly share in Agadot, Agadot Avraham. This is Azubek. And today's uh, Medrash, we're starting from Parsha Mem in the Medrash Rabbah. We've moved along a little bit in the Parsha. And the first story that takes place after Avraham reaches Eretz Israel is the story when he leaves Eretz Israel. Vayhi ra'av ba'aretz vayered Avraham b'tzraimah Shortly after Abraham comes to the land of Canaan, there is a famine, and as a result of the famine, he has to move, or he moves to uh, the land of Mitzrayim, and there he has the adventure that takes place when his wife is kidnapped, taken away by Paroan, etc., etc., etc. The situation is such, this is a, a, a recurring theme in the Avot. Uh, the land of Egypt is a land where famines basically are not meant to strike. That was the case of Yosef was an extreme case and even there of course the land of Egypt survived the famine through the industriousness of, of Yosef but that was a seven year famine but a one year famine won't touch Mitzrayim at all because they have a built in water supply whereas Eretz Canaan is dependent on rain and therefore a famine means a drought and if the rain doesn't fall that year there is a crop failure and there is no food uh, what is the significance of this story so the Midrash says as follows, Parsha Mem, Medrash Bet. Vayihi ra'av ba'aretz, Rabbi Pinchas b'shem Rabbi Hanin d'tziporin, Patach. Rabbi Pinchas, in the name of Rabbi Hanin from Tzipori, opened his drasha by quoting a pasuk and tilim tzadidalid. Ashrei ha'gever, asher tiyasrenu ka, u'mitoratecha talamidenu. Fortunate is the man who is who is the Yasser, he is torture, torture is too strong a word, who is tr- set to trial by God, and from your Torah, you teach him, or he will learn. What was, what does it say by Abraham? What was said to Abraham? God had promised him shortly before our story. God said to him, go to Eretz Canaan, go to the land where I want you to go, and you'll have the following results, I will bless you and I will make your name great, and and, and uh, you'll be a bracha, etc., etc. When he left his land and went to Eretz Canaan, I think it means as almost as soon as he got there, kafatz alav ra'avon. Hunger jumped on top of him. In other words, as soon as he got there, more or less, he was faced with a a famine. Below Karat Tegar, below Ikpid, and Avraham did not complain and did not come with with complaints to God. But, as the Pasuk says, and Avraham descended to the land of Egypt in order to live there. In other words, the Midrash is saying something which perhaps is not obvious. There is no direct hand of God mentioned in the story. There's a famine, and Avraham moves to Mitzrayim. Therefore, we don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Of course, we all have an innate and well-founded prejudice that Avraham does good things. It's unusual that someone will say about Avraham that he erred. He's, he's a model for us. 
So apparently it's a good thing, but it doesn't actually say that, nor does God tell him to do that, nor does God even afterwards say, I'm glad you did it. So the Midrash is saying that it's a good thing. In fact, the Midrash is saying that that's a good thing. The Midrash is saying that's not even a question. Obviously, if there's a famine, he's going to have to go to Egypt because there's no other place to get food. He has to go. The question that uh, uh, occurs to the Midrash is, but how does he do it? Does he do it complaining? Does he do it, I wouldn't say happily, but he does it quietly. He does it long-suffering. He accepts the fact that, in fact, if there is a famine, God is behind it. And if he has no source of food, then it's God's fault, so to speak. God is not fulfilling what he promised him. He promised him that if he goes to Eretz Canaan, it'll be wonderful, and it's not wonderful. But nonetheless, lo karatagar velo hikpid. He didn't offer up a complaint, and, 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 and he had no tightness against God. So the Midrash is saying that this is Avraham's success. This is Avraham is an example to us, but not that the fact that he went to Mitzrayim. That's obvious. The example that Avraham is setting for us, the ideal is to accept your lot quietly, trusting in God without complaints. And this is learned from Avraham. Apparently the pshat in the pasuk brought them to them is, this is the way the Mephashim explain it, that's Avraham Avinu. Fortunate is the man, happy is the man who is being tried by God. means you, not he, or he, and anyone in these situations would have the thought in his head would arise that he should be lahakpid, he should he should, he should come with a complaint. Then, let him look in the Torah and learn. From the Torah, he will learn. What will he learn from the Torah? From this Pasha. He will learn from Pasha Lech Lecha to act like Avraham Avinu acted. Namely, not to be makpid, not to have a complaint, and not to, uh, and not to uh, uh, think for something wrong, but simply to trust in God quietly without any word. As the Pasuk says, and apparently the Diyuk and the Pasuk is from what the Pasuk doesn't say. There was a famine, and Avraham went to Mitzrayim, as opposed to there was a famine, and Avraham tore his hair out and started praying or complaining or asking questions. He just went. He understood this was what has to be done, and he did it without complaints or, or self-complaints or, or, or self-doubts. Rashi picks up on this Midrash and, in fact, strengthens it. Rashi says that that was the purpose of the famine. The whole famine was a test of Abraham to see whether or not he would go to Mitzrayim quietly or would he complain? Would he say that it was unfair? Would he say that God was not fulfilling his promise? And the Midrash doesn't actually say that. The Midrash says it's a fact. There was a famine and Abraham didn't complain. And we should learn from that. It's a good example for us. Rashi says that it's Lin Nasoto. This was a test of Abraham. Of course, Rashi is... Uh, fulfilling here a, a different Medrash, which appears much, actually much later in the Medrash Rabbah, the Esther Nisyonot Nitnasav Avinu. whose life consisted of ten different episodes of testing or of trials. And there is no list in the Midrash. Even if Hashem had disagreements as to how to find the ten, the, the last and the most famous, the most explicit, of course, is the Akedah. But we're the first nine. So Rashi is saying this is at least one of them. It's either the second or the third. There was telling him to go to Eretz Canaan was the first, but maybe the story of Ur Kastim, which is not found in the Torah, but only Midrash, was the first. And so this is either the second or the third. 
that's Rashi's uh, development based on this Midrash. It's important because there surely would have been place for someone to claim the opposite. And it's a politically charged point, which is fair to use when interpreting the Torah, because Chazal already, and the Mamban especially, as is well known, said that the life of Abraham is an example for Jewish history. In fact, the Midrash I just quoted said you should live Avraham how to react in times of troubles. But the Ramah says that it's an act of Jewish history. And the issue here is whether or not one is permitted, one should, it's a good idea to leave Eretz Yisrael because of economic conditions. Avraham Avinu finds it difficult to make a living. Let's put it in modern terms. Avraham Avinu is coming Aliyah, can't make a living, so he moves temporarily, but he moves to Mitzrayim, he moves to Egypt. It's not hard to imagine many people who would disagree with the with the activity, with the, with the, with the conclusion, with the reasoning of Abhamino. God told you to go, first of all, God told you to go to Eretz Kanan. It's, it's a mitzvah in general, but it's also a specific mitzvah of Abhamino. So, it's hard to make a living. I mean, w- w- let's face it. The entire population of the land of Canaan did not move or die. Somebody was left in Canaan when Abhamino came back. So it was very difficult to find food. It was a it was a severe famine. But the question is, did Avinu move because it was pikuach nefesh? There's nothing to talk about. Somehow it's hard to imagine. If that was true, then he should have come back and found no one living there. So the answer was it was very very difficult economically. There's a good question here as to whether or not Avinu was right or wrong to do it. So our Midrash, I wish to emphasize, our Midrash assumes that it was right to do. And the only question is, when you are forced to move to Egypt, should you complain about God's lack of providence, that God has not taken care of you? But it's understood that you're being forced to move to Egypt, and that is itself the reason why you should complain, and nonetheless you don't complain. Okay, the Midrash continues... More or less the same idea, but I think this is, whenever the Midrash says something twice, I think we have to pay attention as to what the difference is. The Midrash continues with the same conclusion, but a slightly different formulation. I wish to pay attention to it. The Midrash says as follows. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi Patach. Teref Natan Lirayav. He opened with a different pasuk. Not Tidim Salidav, but Tidim Kufiralif. Teref Natan Lirayav. Yiskol Olam Berito. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said, Teref natan lirayav, the word teref literally means, means food. It's a word taken from the animal kingdom where animals have to uh, hunt. So, litrof means to actually kill your prey in order to eat it. Uh, so, teref, but the word teref therefore means uh, food. Teref natan lirayav, God provides for his, those who fear him. Yiskol lamrito, he will always remember his covenant with them. So Rabbi Shuman Levi said, "Teref natan lirayav, tiruf natan lirayav ba'olam azeh." The word "teref" he says means the word "tiruf." It means insanity. Not uh, much insanity. Mishen nitrafadato, his spirit has has become topsy turvy, overturned. It's a form of insanity. It means, literally speaking, in normal modern English, Basuk according to Rabbi Shuman Levi says, God drives those who fear him crazy. Tiruf natan lirayav. God drives them crazy, those who fear him. 
לצדיקים. בעולם הזה. יזכור לעולם בריתו, לעולם הבא. In other words, he's commenting on the difference of tense in the Pasuk. Teref natan reyav, God gave past tense, teref, to his, uh, those who fear him. Yizko, he will remember forever his covenant. Yishuel Levi says, Tiruf natan reyav olam hazeh, in this world, God gives, not teref, but tiruf, he gives them insanity, he drives them crazy in this world, but, says, Aval, but, Latid Lavo, Yiskov Rito Laolam. But in the future world, he will remember his bit, he remember what he promised. Machtiv Ba'avraham. Now the example, what does it say by Avraham? God promised him to bless him and to make his name great. And when he did what God told him to do, what happened? He got hit with a famine. But nonetheless, he didn't complain, didn't, uh, didn't mutiny, but merely went to Egypt quietly. Okay, so the bottom line is the same. Shuvah says that Avraham Abin is being subject to a, a, a test or an, an apparent something which can't be understood. The cognitive dissonance here is great. God promised and then did the exact opposite. But the main point is nonetheless What's the difference between the two psukim? The only difference between these two statements of Rabbi Pinchas and Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi is the opening pasuk. And I think we should pay attention to the reading Midrash is to pay attention to the opening pasuk. It's not there just for adornment. It's not there just to have something to start up with. It sets the the title, it sets the, it sets the theme for what later on will be exemplified in its only exemplification. Rabbi Pinchas began with the Pasuk He spoke of testing. Testing, not in the school sense, but in the trial and tribulation sense. Because the word liyaser means to, to put someone to the test. To, as I said, as I mistranslated, but not completely mistranslated, it's used to torture. Yisurim are tribulations. So he says that God puts people to the trial. And then, the answer is, how are you supposed to stand in that trial? Not to complain. In other words, we think is suggesting a general theory based on Avraham Avinu's life of, of life. That there were many inexplicable, torturous events in a person's life. And the purpose is, or you should, well, Rashi said the purpose is, but let's not say like Rashi, let's say just like the Medrash. The, the proper response to these inexplicable, torturous events is to quietly accept them. Like Abba Mavino. Do what you have to do. Let's take action. And be happy. Accept. Lo karataga, velo ikbid. But Rishul and Levi, he's not presenting it as being a trial. He's presenting it as something which is, on the one that doesn't have the same response, and two, it's, it's really much worse. He says, It's really inexplicable. 
The answer is not in the way you will react. The answer is, When God promises you something, you should know. I'm not justifying it, but you should know that His fulfillment will be La'atid Lavo. God promised Avraham, no, Rabbi Pinchas said, God promised Avraham to take care of him, and then didn't. Wow, that's terrible. The answer is, yeah, it's terrible, but you should be quiet. Rabbi Yoshua Nevi says, God promised Avraham Avinu to take care of him, and he didn't. Well, the answer is that he will take care of him eventually. Latid Lavo. And in the meantime, you should be quiet. So, Rabbi Yoshua Nevi is actually, I think, explaining why you should be quiet. You should be quiet because you should know that if God would promise something and then do the opposite, maybe you should complain. The reason why you shouldn't complain is because you should know that He will fulfill His words and apparently there's no obligation to fulfill it immediately. That's the way God does things. In this world, He acts in a manner which strikes you, appears to be inexplicable appears to be driving you insane. But if you just remember, you you'll be able to weather it. Okay, so Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi is suggesting, in fact, the, the way in which we will achieve perseverance, equanimity, acceptance, rest assured, Rabbi Pinchas didn't suggest anything. In, in a way, his trials are greater. You know, the world is really absurd and I don't know what the answer is. But that doesn't mean that I should mutiny against God. I don't, cannot explain what God does, but that's not my job. My job is to, is to accept. The acceptance in Rabbi Pinchas is deeper, because it has no basis. The acceptance in Rabbi Shur ben Levi is based on bitachon, and there's a basis for that bitachon. If not today, then tomorrow will be okay. I think it's worth pointing out in Rabbi Shur ben Levi that after all the story of Abba he went to Mitzrayim, and uh, in the end he came back a rich man. That's not what Yeshua Levi means. He doesn't say that if in the present it appears to be bad, tomorrow will be good. He's saying if in the present it appears to be bad, then la'atid lavo it will be good. La'atid lavo normally means in the Medrash messianic times, not tomorrow. It's not that Avraham Avinu was tested, but it all worked out for the for the for the for the, for the, for the best in the end. Let's say the Akedah. This phrase that's used here was repeated by the Medrash in the Akedah, and it makes. It's obviously understood to all of us. God promised Avraham Avinu, Ki Yitzchak Chazara. God promised Avinu that his son Yitzchak would be the continuation. And then, two days later, or to be more exact, 37 years later, God said to him to slaughter Yitzchak. So that's inexplicable. The answer is, okay, he took it back. He did fulfill it. And Avraham Avinu did have Yitzchak continue. But that's not what Rabbi Shumanevi is saying. He's saying that this world in general, the world we live in, normal human history, appears to be inexplicable. It's mitoraf. It's insane. But, he's called Ambrito. God remembers. He's, he's, it's, it's, it's in the bank. He's not paying out yet. But he hasn't forgotten. He hasn't abandoned his promise. Latid lavo. Latid lavo means in the end, in the end of time. In the context of Avraham Avinu's life, I think the Midrash is, I'm a little bit uncertain, I think the Midrash here is saying that it's not a question of where Avraham Avinu gets his, gets his food from. So he goes to Mitzvahim and God takes care of him there and then sends him back. I think it's a reference, albeit a hidden reference, 
to a different promise of God. God has promised Avraham Avinu to give him Eretz Canaan. And he never gives it to him. He gives it to his children later on. You might argue he doesn't actually give it to his children either because eventually there's Galut. In the end, he will give it to them. But I'd rather relate to Avraham Avinu's life itself as opposed to getting money from Parel, and as opposed to getting Yitzchak back from the altar on Har Maria after the Akedah. But Avraham Avinu never gets the major promise of his life. Not just Babarechecha, but Kilachan Natati, this land is yours. That he never gets. His children will get it in his, in his name. And I think that's what Midrash is referring to. Avraham Avinu's life is mitoraf. So here there's one case, and then the Akedah is another case. Maybe the other Nisyonot are other cases. But overriding it all is that the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise does not appear in this world. It's mitoraf. It's 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 tapped. It's to- excuse me. It's turned topsy turvy. It's insane. And and therefore the bitachon, which would allow you to act like Avraham Avinu, lo karatagal v'lo yikpid, is a much deeper sense of bitachon. It's not that don't worry, it'll be better tomorrow. It's don't worry. It will work out the way God wants it. But you may not, in fact, live, live to see it. In that sense, we know that, unfortunately, Jewish history undoubtedly has things which are a lot more insane than just taking a couple of weeks vacation in Egypt after being promised you can live in, in Eretz Canaan. Okay, so you hopped out to Chutzlaretz, took care of a few business deals with Paro. I've ever been with business deals with Paro a little bit strange. He sort of gives him his wife and gets money for it but it all works out in the end. and then you come back to that so you live the rest of your life I've never, never leaves again and he has a lot of money and he's famous and he's well taken care of but we know that it doesn't always work out that way and I think that's what Yishuv is talking about Tiruf Natan Dereyav Ba'olam Hazeh if you don't have the proper attitude if you don't remember his Lambrito then specifically God's servants not the others other people work out okay but God's servants are being driven insane. But you have to remember, Yiskol Olam Rito. God has not abandoned the covenant. He's remembering it for which period? For Olam. God's memory is very long. God's expectations are very long range. And therefore the Brit is Olam. It's for eternity, not for today, not for tomorrow, not for next year. But it will be fulfilled in eternity. To look at Avraham Avinu's life that way is, I think, a bit of a, a chiddush. It's not the usual way of looking at his life. You know, Avraham Avinu had some interesting and stormy episodes. Still, he basically lived okay. I'm sure that he's saying, pay attention to the episodes, perhaps add what I've mentioned, the overriding promise of Israel, and you realize that Avraham Avinu's life is is causing insanity. It it should have driven him nuts. But he overcame it because of his deep abiding, not belief in God, but faith in God. Bitochon Bashem. That he knew that God would fulfill his promises eventually, if not today, then in Jewish history itself. Now since we mentioned the topic of Nisayon, of testing, the trials of Abraham Avinu, Maybe the next midrash, which addresses that question, at least 
presents one one particular point about what these trials consist of. This is a medrash which appears more than once in Medrash Rabbah. It's technically speaking devoted to the topic of famines. We know there are a lot of famines in Tanakh. Avinu, Yitzchak, time of Yaakov again. Midrash says, Parsha Mem, Midrash Gimel, Yud Ra'avon Ba'u Le'olam. There were ten famines in the history of the world. And then it lists them. Okay, I'm going to skip this part. One was by Adam Rishon, one was later on, one was by Adam Avinu, etc., etc., etc. And then it skips to a famine which took place in the time of David HaMelech. Right? When David HaMelech was king, one of the years there, there was a famine. And there's a story about it in Melachim. So, the Midrash says, Rabbi Huna Rabbi Yemei B'Shem Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yitzchak. Ikar avat natia shelo lo hayta ela bimei David. The famine, it, it's, it's strength, right? The deepest part of the famine took place while David HaMelech was king. It was supposed to, this is what the Midrash claims, it was supposed to happen earlier, in the time of Shaul HaMelech. So why did it happen in the time of David HaMelech? Since Shaul, there's a an incredibly critical remark here made about Shaul HaMelech. Since Shaul HaMelech was a branch, a young branch of a shikma tree, which Rafashim explained, if you bend it, it breaks. Therefore, God put it off until the time of David. In other words, since Shaul HaMelech was, I'm just saying what the Midrash says, was a wimp, he was too weak to have borne the burden if God had brought the famine in his time. He would have broken like the branch of the Shikma. Therefore, God did not bring it on him because God is not interested in breaking the king. He brought it on David who is is stronger. Apparently a an idiomatic expression of Chazal, one person did the sin, or one person did the, the business deal, someone else paid. Lufichach, now a conclusion, Kulam, all ten famines. Lobao adam giborim, Famine only takes place in the times of people who are strong, who are giborim, who are mighty, because they can bear it. But not the time of people who are bent, who are, who are weak. Who could not stand it. Why is that? Why is God bringing famines of people who can stand up to them? He has to bring famines. So now it's explained by a mashal, by a metaphor. Excuse me, by a simile. Rabbi Chia the Great said, Mashal, Lizagag, a person is a glass blower. Shaya biyado kupa mulea kosot v'daytrutin. He has a a basket with is filled with glasses and other glass objeda. He he makes things out of glass, and he has to sell them. His job is to sell them. B'sha'a shama v'kesh litlot et kupato. He wants to hang up his basket. What does he do? I am a viyatev. He brings a peg, toka. He bangs him into the wall. Vinit laba. 
ואחר כך היה תולה את קופתו. He, he pulls on the peg to see that it's strong. Right? He hangs himself, so to speak, on the peg to make sure that's strong enough. And then he hangs up the basket of glassware. לפיכך לא בא בני אדם שטופים, אלא בני אדם גיבורים שהם יכולים לעמוד בהם. What is this משל saying? There are other משלים in other places concerning the topic of Nisayon. But this is one that appears here. Here it says that the Nisayon is like, the test is testing the peg to see if it's heavy enough to hold the basket of glass. In other words, um, certain people are designed. God, God wishes that they should do certain work for God. They should be the peg which will hold up his basket of glassware. But in order to know whether they can do that, the kupai, the, the zagag, when he first does is he, he, he pulls hard on the peg to see that it's strong. Hence, that's what God does to strong people. Now since we know that it's not that God tests them to see it, because God needs to know if they're strong enough, so apparently it means that it's a way to, to make them strong. The, so to speak, God, God is the, is the glass worker here. God presses on the peg, on the human being, on Avram Avinu, in our case, or on David Amelech, in the other case, so that he can later on hang not a very heavy weight, much less weight, the weight of his wares that he wishes to sell to others. I think included here is the idea but why does somebody want to hang up his basket of glassware? I think it's, I just assume, that's because he wants to sell them. And he hangs them up to sell, but you need to publicize that you're selling them. You need to hang them up high so people can see them. The tzaddik, Abraham, or David, or someone else, is the peg in the wall which hangs up everything that God has to offer. Call it Torah, call it Hashkacha. What God wants people to come and buy, what God wants people to come and see, has to be hung up high and therefore has to be very, very strong to hang it up. And so the Nisayon is the, or the test, perhaps it's the test which makes it true, but it's not done to weak people. God doesn't want you to break. He wants to prove that you're strong enough to do His other work. And therefore, the test is in fact more difficult than the other work, but that's what makes the other work work. Because we have here a theory of certain kinds of trials and tribulations. We've already said that they to see if you'll simply take it. In other words, the, the purpose of the trial is to draw the logical conclusion, but not to complain. That was the previous Midrash. But what's the purpose of that? And here the Midrash says that at least this kind of trial, the av, the Ra'avon is a test to see whether or not you're strong enough to persevere quietly. Just simply to stand and not be broken. The, the response to a trial is not to break. End of story. And why is that important? It's important because if you won't break, then you can do God's work in general. If you're going to break, if you're a grufit shal shikma, if you're a, a stiff, easily broken branch, then... How can God depend on you to do His work in the world, to 
to, as Avraham Avinu is doing, to teach the whole world about Abudat Hashem. If the first wind that blows, ill wind blows in your way, you fall apart. So strength and perseverance in the face of adversity is a necessary condition, here I think is the point, a necessary condition for carrying God's load in the world. God's load is heavy, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're doing now is much heavier than that. But in order that you should simply teach people Torah, you should teach people the ways of God, you have to first show God, I think show the world, that you are a peg on which things can be can be hung. The famine of Avraham Avinu, like the famine of the Melech, is the demonstration to everybody that Avraham Avinu is a firm peg on which anything can be hung because he will not break. He is he is he's strong of spirit, and that's the lesson we learned from these all these medrashim we read today about Avraham Avinu himself. That there's a certain personality trait here which isn't explicitly stated in the Torah. Which is why I need the Medrash to point it out. It's inherent in the story. The Ravah Mabinu is strong in the sense of perseverance. Quietly strong. Strong and stubborn. He takes what you give him, follows through, doesn't, his spirit is not broken, including the kind of breaking which maybe people don't think is breaking. Not that he'll fall apart. He doesn't even complain. He doesn't, he's not driven crazy in the, land, in the words of Yeshua ben Levi. He doesn't start complaining. He shoulders on that kind of strength. The quiet, inward strength of spirit is something which Midrash perceives in Abba and I think is saying, in fact, is very, very essential to understanding why Abba the second Midrash, why Abba is the father to the Jewish people because he's the peg on which the rest of Jewish history hangs. The, the, the basket of glassware is everything God wants in the world. Jewish history hangs on Rav Avinu because he is, to put it simply, he's tough. He's tough and he shoulders on no matter how heavy the burden the burden is. We'll be back next week with more Midrashim about Rav Avinu. Until then, Kol Tov. Hashem from Kiem Teti.